Every day, traders and investors dive in to tackle the ever-changing markets to find opportunity. Futures Radio Show is your number one source for answers to the questions that all market participants want to ask. Veteran futures trader Anthony Crudelli sits down with the most influential leaders and top traders in the industry. Now, here's your host, Anthony Crudelli. What's up, everybody? Anthony Crudelli here, and thank you for tuning in to this month's Best Moments episode. Futures Radio Show is sponsored by CME Group. They're the world's leading and most diverse futures and options exchange. CME Group's markets help individuals and businesses around the world effectively manage risk. For access to free educational tools and resources for the active individual trader, please visit activetrader.cmegroup.com. For new Futures Radio Show notifications, please subscribe to Futures Radio on iTunes, YouTube, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. And if you're enjoying the show, please leave a review on iTunes. This show is also sponsored by Trading Technologies, RJO Futures, and FTSE Russell. The Russell 2000 is a key benchmark for small cap U.S. stocks. Be sure to check out the E-mini Russell 2000 futures symbol RTY and micro E-mini Russell 2000 futures symbol M2K. To learn more about FTSE Russell, please visit FTSERussell.com. It was another busy month on the podcast, so I took all of my favorite clips from each episode and put them into one episode for you to enjoy. So without further ado, let me take you to our best moments from last month. For those out there that maybe don't know what Market Profile is, Jim, could you just give us a a quick explanation as to what Market Profile is? Market Profile is nothing more than a statistical tool that allows us to organize the market's continuous two-way auction process. Scientists for years use a distribution curve in order to study data, organize the data. Once the data is organized, it's easier to tease information from it. In order to have a distribution curve, you need a constant and a variable. And the beauty of the profile is time is the constant. Half an hour between 8 and 8.30 is the same as 9 and 9.30. Then you compare price of variable to time the constant, and it gives you a distribution curve. The profile is doesn't tell you to buy. It doesn't tell you to sell. It just allows you to organize data. And with organized data, it's easier to ascertain what's really going on in the market. Well, let's talk about that day trading time frame. How do you use market profile to give you an edge in your trading? Well, I'm not sure what the market profile does is I just said it organizes the data. So the first edge comes from having organized data. The profile allows you to see the structure of the market. If you remember years ago, traders had an advantage on the floor from noise. They could hear what was going on. As volume went up, they knew there was more activity. As volume died down, they knew activity was, was dying out. Now, with the profile and with, you know, floor trading going away, we get information into our brain through vision. About 60% of the brain is somehow involved in being able to see what is going on. So being able to visually see the market and visually see the structure of the market really is an advantage. And what the structure does, the structure represents the relationship between the different time frames in the market. However, I don't I don't really think that 
the biggest advantage that I have is the profile. I think the biggest advantage came from the understanding that uh, people are not necessarily rational. And it's amazing if we, so many times traders think they're relying on their, in their intuition. And if I can walk up to almost any trader and pretend I'm watching what they're doing for a few minutes and say, boy, I can, I can see that you have great instincts from, for trading. And they will grin from ear to ear. Now, the truth of the matter is that our instincts are what do us in so many times in trading. And the examples I use, you know, the first time you ride on the bike back of a motorcycle, the experienced, you know, operator of the cycle, he's leaning into the curb. You're trying to stand straight up, and uh, which is not the right thing to do. And I remember that first time I went off a ski jump as a kid. Uh, on water. They, you know, they explained to me that there was less friction on water and going up a ramp than there was on flat water. Well, I mean, I would have gotten it right on the test. But when I went off that ramp, I'm leaning back. And of course, when I'm up in the air, my feet are pointing straight up. And when I hit the water, I was on my back. It was just another example that our intuition isn't always as reliable as we think. So I think the first thing that really helped me was understanding that our intuition isn't as powerful as we think it is. That doesn't mean we can't work on training our intuition, but intuitively, that's not where we want to we want to start. I think the next thing that was helpful, what does us in so often as as traders, is carrying around biases, and that's been very prevalent in this market with this high volatility. So many people don't understand the disconnect that we can have between markets and fundamental reality. You know, you look some years back, the market hit a high and it was 10 years before we got back there. And it appears to me that once again, momentum has carried the market to unrealistic levels. However, unless you understand that, that the trading is not necessarily related minute by minute to the fundamentals of the market, it can be a very costly experience. I recommend to people that, and I do this in seriousness, stand in front of the mirror each morning, say out loud, I am a short-term trader. My long-term investment biases and likes and dislikes are not relative to what I am doing as a short-term day trader. All right, Sean, I want to go back to you. Russell mentioned that financial services and healthcare are the two top sectors in the Russell 2000. Can you share with us if you have an order of what the top sectors are and then maybe share with us some of the top names in the Russell as well? Well, I would I would really focus on the sectors because when you're talking about a market and what's moving in index, it more it, it doesn't move so much on the individual stocks, but more on the sectors. And think about FANG moving large caps, right? You got the big technology stocks that really drive the large cap indexes. So rather than focus on individual names, and I can give you a couple, but I would really focus on the sectors. And let's give you the ranks of those sectors of the of various weights of the Russell 2000. Those being, as, as Russell started, was where financial services, healthcare, technology comes third, consumer discretionary, producer durables, materials and processing, utilities, consumer staples, and energy. And something else to think about, Anthony, is the fact that these are U.S. domestic stocks. And what really drives the market 
are those U.S. numbers you hear. Um, when you hear that there could be a, 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 a new vaccine coming out to, and, and how it could possibly boost the economy, you're going to see the U.S. domestic stocks outperform. Uh, especially small caps in particular, because they, as I like to say, and Russell uh, Rhodes will laugh at this, they outperform to the upside with good news and they outperform to the downside with good news or with bad news. Um, so, yeah, there's velocity in the Russell 2000 when it trades. So it's something for traders to think about um, as they, they look at these various weights of the various sectors. But, yeah, watch financial services, watch healthcare, watch technology. Consumer uh, discretionary, all of these these top sectors really, really push this index around. And those economic numbers, which have real domestic kind of uh, a flair to them or weight to them, are, are things that traders should definitely be watching uh, in regards to trading Russell 2000. And uh, Russell, I'm, if you agree, great. If you don't, let, I'd love to have a little bit more of a discussion about it. Oh, no, I totally I, I think you're dead on with that one. And one thing I've learned is, is trading the Russell over the years. I agree with you, Sean. That's what really is a little bit different about trading the Russell versus the NASDAQ and even the S&P. I think the Russell and the S&P have this a little bit more in common, that the sectors are the major drivers, not the individual names. And it's probably why I focus more on Russell and, and S&P and not so much on NASDAQ. Uh, and, and Russell, I do want to go back to you and mm -hmm. hearing Sean talk about the weightings and I mean, it makes sense. If financial services are the leading sector, you look at how they've been this year, It's that's a big reason why the Russell's been lagging. Uh, it's a big reason that the Russell's been lagging. Uh, financial services have definitely been a, a drag. Uh, you know, even though it's it's a healthcare emergency, uh, I think that there's there's been some mixed performance with respect to individual companies and how they're impact, impacted by the um COVID-19 situation. One of the things that I find really interesting about the Russell 2000 underperformance this year is there's a very small weighting in the Russell 2000 of energy. And that has just been, you know, the dog of the market for the first half of this year. Um, if you're expecting a rebound in energy, the Russell 2000 is probably not the place to go. Uh, the technology names and the consumer discretionary names uh, in the index, you know, technology has definitely been a leader for the first half of this year. Uh, but the technology names in the Russell 2000, as Sean mentioned, are a lot more domestically oriented. So, you know, it's if, if business is under pressure in the U.S. relative to the rest of the world, that is when you're going to typically see the, the Russell 2000 underperform. And that's what we have seen uh, at some point point, we are going to see a catch up in uh, the anticipation about what's going on in the U.S. versus the rest of the world. And one of the first places that that's going to show up is going to be in the Russell 2000's relative performance uh, when you look at it uh, versus other broad-based indexes that are a little bit more niched maybe in technology or have a lot more exposure to uh, the global economy as opposed to the U.S. domestic economy. And something to add to that, Russell, and speaking of the second heaviest weight in the index being healthcare, something interesting about the Russell 2000, there were six IPOs added to the Russell 2000 this year, all six stocks, healthcare stocks. Huh. So that is uh, really an interesting uh, uh, piece of information, which makes you think, boy, when you see a, a vaccine or you see um, the fact that hospitals are being, being able to treat patients uh, for surgery and other other ailments that uh, aren't COVID related, 
it means revenue and it means healthcare stocks are going to strengthen. So it's something to think about um, going forward uh, in, in the Russell 2000 is that healthcare sector is, I think, going to be an interesting component of the index this year. Sticking to a process as a trader sounds easy, but in drawdowns, we hesitate because we fear the result. This is tough to overcome, but once we give ourselves the mental freedom to let the results be what they are, then we can stick to a process. This is a mental challenge, not about process. Okay, well, we always talk about process on social media and on this show and how we have to develop a process, a strategy, and an edge as a trader. And developing the process is something that's an ongoing thing for us as traders. This is what we do. We're always working on our edge. We're always working on our process and working on our strategy. So in this tweet, what I talked about was sticking to a process. It sounds easy. And it's, I don't want to say it's easy to develop a process, but when we're developing our process, we're in just that clear state of mind where we're, we're at home or we're in a coffee shop or we're somewhere and we're jotting ideas down and just things that we want to put together for our process. And we're doing it for our best interest, of course. So it, it, it sounds easy when we're doing it to say, hey, when, when the market's open and we begin to trade, I can stick to it because that's the plan that we put together. But in drawdowns, we hesitate because we fear the result. I got to tell you, this was so difficult for me. And I know for a lot of you probably as well. As traders, I don't care who you are, we go through drawdowns. And when you go through drawdowns, you start rethinking everything. You're like, is my process right? Is my process wrong? Uh, should I go back to the drawing board? What do I need to fix? And when we're at the screens, we're sitting there getting ready to click that button. And what happens? We fear the result. We're fearful that we're going to have another loser. And then we don't take that trade. And then that trade works. And then we take the next trade. And then that one doesn't. And now we're in a tailspin. How many times has this happened to me? Countless times. I'm sure it's happened to many of you as well. So I always say that it, it sounds easy to develop that process, and it is relatively easy to develop it, but it's, it's, and it, it's very difficult to execute it because you have to work on developing mental freedom to let the results be what they are. So when you're in that drawdown, I'm very visual, so how do I work on that? How do I fix that? When I'm in that drawdown, I come into every day and I, and I do a meditation and I think about it. I think about visually myself executing my strategy, going through my process, going through my entire routine. And if I come out of that meditation feeling strong about it, confident that if I, if I do run into a situation that I'm actually going to do it, then I continue to trade that day. And I just follow through with it. And you start training yourself and preparing yourself to be able to do that. I always believe that confidence comes from preparedness. So I prepare mentally for that. So it goes beyond just the process. I already have that in place, but now I'm preparing to execute it. Because if I'm struggling and we all go through drawdowns, that's when I'm going to be tested. And that's when you as a trader have to step up and say, you know what? I did my homework. I believe in what I'm doing. I'm prepared mentally. Here's my opportunity. I'm going to do it. That's why I say this is a mental challenge. It's not about the process. Next tweet. The strategy that is best for you as a trader is not the one that has the best stats. It's the one that you believe in. My reason is because it's easy to bail on a strategy when stats turn bad. But if you believe in a strategy, then you'll always find ways to execute it better. <laughs> Look, at, I remember a time 
learning how to trade. I was surrounded by all these great traders, right? Everybody's making all this money and here's me struggling. I can't make any money. And I'm watching traders execute right next to me a strategy and make money. And then here's me doing the same thing and I'm losing. And I'm sure this has probably happened to some of you as well. And you say to yourself, how's this even possible? How's this person right here trading with this strategy that has great stats? They're making money and I'm sitting over here losing. And the reason is, is because I didn't know what I was doing at it because I didn't believe in it. I didn't understand everything about it. When you're looking to develop your strategy, you have to believe in it. Don't just look at the numbers and say, well, this, this strategy wins X amount of time. If it works so well, then probably automate it. But if you're going to be a discretionary trader like myself and, and many of us out there, you have to wholeheartedly believe in your process and your strategy because no matter what, in the bad times, you won't question it. You'll continue to find ways to get better. That's something that I, I, I think about all the time. I, mean, I look at my strategy and say, over time, my strategy on its own isn't going to give me the greatest results. Me as the executor of that strategy is what delivers better results. Why? Because I believe in it. It fits my personality. I'm trading into the markets that, that fit my personality. I'm trading into the markets that it works the best in. Because I believe in it. So I continue to work harder at getting better at executing it. A, a, a big part of trading is having that drive, that, that want to be better, right? If you have something that just has good stats, does not mean that you will have good stats. At least in my experience, that has been the case. That's why I say, believe in a strategy, then you'll always find ways to execute it better. That's something that I live by. Okay, traders, we're going to pause for 30 seconds and we'll be right back. A question I constantly get is what platform do I use to trade futures? Well, I use TT. They are the world's fastest commercially available futures trading platform. Learn more at tryttnow.com. RJO is a long-standing brokerage firm with personal broker relationships to help you learn and trade futures. To learn more, please visit rjofutures.com. A few things I want to talk a little bit more about. So scale in, yeah. scale out, that's very similar to what I do. I mean, I, what I learned mm -hmm. is the same thing that you learned is that when you want to be mm -hmm. in a full position, I don't mm -hmm. want to be held by one price because mm -hmm. the minute it goes against me or my way, there's just too much emphasis on that one price. I like to feel price. So when I get in, mm -hmm. if it's working my way, I like to add to things that are working for me. So I like to initially see how the market reacts to um, my level once I get in with that smaller position. Mm. Is that a similar mm. thing for you? Or uh, just dig a little bit deeper as to why you like the scaling aspect of it. Yeah, basically uh, uh, the same thing what you had narrated. I mean, like uh, uh, in trading, we all have, uh, as I said, there are one or two setups where you can sit comfortably. I mean, like... Uh, where you don't need to, uh, uh, what to say, I mean, like, uh, run here and there, uh, you might think multiple, I mean, you might have multiple thoughts what this is going to do, whether this is uh, against my trade. So to know that, you just start with the test size. That's what we I call it as. Put a test size, test the waters first, see whether you are against the tide or with the tide. Just go, if it is, if you're against the tide, the initial portion sizing will tell you. I mean, the initial scaling portion will tell you. So get out with a smaller loss where your loss could be even less than your one hour. 
if you go with that kind of so if you are if your initial portion size starts working and you have a bigger target start scaling in on slowly on an average because your risk is going to be the same and your reward is going to be a big but only one thing is this initial portion the test size metric will always help you to know whether it is working for you or whether it is not working for you exactly and for example let's say if i started scaling in okay at a point if i expect a trend day of, let's say i mean like i am taking a trade at 10000 level i am expecting that day it is going to be at 10100 or i am expecting the market to be bullish and closing at the highest point of the level say like 100 point so initially i start uh, my quantity is say like my max quantity is say like 100 lots so i start with 20 to test the waters for example if 10000 to 10020 goes with volume and shows me the sign and it drives drives the price perfectly i will add up next 40 next 60 slowly i will just add up okay at a point where my target is say like 10100 but this price my max scale in price was 10050 and price goes to 10070 and stalls there or reverses back what i will do is i will just keep scaling out the positions rapidly because meaning that uh that trade is not going into the favor of a trend day it is just could be a normal variation day where it just went for a half and it could retracing back so why i want to take that so i will just scale out so basically when i am scaling in the positions with my full lot size i will be continuously monitoring the option uh, i won't just leave the desk or i won't just uh, think it is a trend day it is going to close at one extreme of the day so it doesn't mean i need to but i will be keep on monitoring so scale in and scale outs are very important thing for any full time trader they need to keep uh, learning this art actually yeah i think that is definitely an art and i think back to myself and in my journey in getting better at execution and position sizing is going back to about that 100 lot if i'm held by one price if it goes against me right away all of a sudden i feel all this immense amount of pressure even if it's not near my stop loss all of a sudden i feel too held yeah. to a price you know so sometimes i would scale out of some of them right away then they go my way and then i found myself getting back in and then overtrading and the same thing went if i just got into the 100 lot and it went my way right away a lot of times i'd be like okay i'm in a full position and i'd start peeling them off right away so then what i was doing was i was not holding the positions as long because also that feeling of being in at a full position right away So I had to go back to the drawing board for myself and say, "Look, <laughs> feel the price. When it gets to an area yeah. you like, I have a, I have a range of execution. If I'm going to do a hundred yeah. lot, I would do it very similar. I would do a little stick to what you're doing with twenty, twenty, and twenty. I would buy the twenty. If it went against me a little bit, I'd look at the scenario. If all of a sudden I saw a reaction that told me, "Hey, you want to get in more here? Whether it was against me or my way, I'd get back in. Sometimes I get in." or i i would not get back in i would add and then you know it always would depend okay. on the situation sometimes i'd be adding yeah. quickly sometimes i'd be adding mm-hmm. slow but what it did was it mm-hmm. allowed me to feel the area 
that I liked. Okay. And when it would start to work, that would also, because I had been in a trade for a little bit of time, when it started to go my mm-hmm. way, I felt that I actually withstood that initial blow, right? So when it started to work for me, then I started to have the patience to hold it longer. Is that similar for you too? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So basically, uh, uh, I want a context. First, I want to frame a context. Uh, what is the range it is going to be? I mean, like, uh, as you said, I just want to have some sort of entry zone, not a single price, but I want to have it as a zone, actually, say like a 10 points or 20 point zone. I want to accumulate all the uh, all of my trade size over that zone. OK, uh, so here, uh, as you said, context plays a bigger role. Uh, it is something like this. Uh, uh, context is very important to develop the plan, the sizing, and the risk for any trade. Without a proper context, you can't plan out any of this size, any of this thing. Whether uh, there is a context where uh, it could say you can scale in multiple times. There is a context where it will say you can scale in one time and scale out. So it it all, it, it is all like, depends on the context. You can't do, in trading, I feel like this. You can't do the same thing every time, every place. Exactly. <laughs> yep. So it is like uh, you need to keep changing uh, according to the market nature or the market context. Yeah, look at this year for the uh, E-mini S&P. And if I would have been in too big of a hurry to get into a lot mm-hmm. of my positions, they would have wiped me out of my stop immediately. You know, So a lot of times mm-hmm. this year, uh, a lot of trades, I was getting into my first a portion of my size and I would be getting stopped out immediately because the volatility was so high, you know, and then it was things mm-hmm. started to slow up and, and certain times, even during the volatile areas, I'd get in and I'd have a great reaction. Then I would add real quick, you know, it's just, it's always mm-hmm. dependent of it. And, and that's why we both agree that execution is really an art. And that's why I like zones. That's why I like scaling. And that's why I like scaling out because it gives me options yeah. on the different types of days. When you get a new trader in to SMB Capital, what is your process for helping them develop statistical edge? So first, we ask our guys to take SMB DNA. That's our first training program that gives them the basics of what they need to know to think about trading. Nobody actually is allowed to set foot into our offices before they take SMB DNA. And then the second part of our training is the winning trader. That is a bunch of setups that our guys are using presently in this market, in this regime, with Edge to make money. So we are very fortunate that we've got lots of traders at our P&L desk in New York City who do very well. We have traders who are north of $5 million a year. We have traders who are north of $2 million a year, north of $1 million net a year. Uh, We have a lot of middle-class traders who do very well as well. And what we do for the winning trader with that training program is we take the strategies that our guys on our desk are deploying with Edge, and we expose our traders to those strategies. We let them sample with those strategies, and they go trade by trade. They tried one trade during the winning, winning trader. They traded on the demo. And they see if they like it. And then they move on to the next trade. And they try it. 
and they see if they like it. And during that process, which is a multi-month process, they are seeing which setups that make the most sense to them, which setups fit their cognitive and uh, mental personality. And so at the end of the winning trader, we're, we're not trying to make money. We're trying to get people to develop their niche. What are the setups, the plays, the type of trading that they, because of their talents, are going to use to build their business? And so we talk about creating a playbook. So they have all these different types of trades that they sample with, and then they settle on four or five or six of them. And that becomes their playbook. That becomes their trading business. And they start there. They start to build from there. And, and, and what they try and do is become consistently profitable. We're not trying to hit home runs at the beginning. So you're developing your niche. And then when you find out what your niche is, you're trying to be consistently profitable in those setups. And so after you have narrowed it down to you know, smaller sets of, of setups, you measure those setups. So we are asking our guys to keep detailed stats on the different types of trades they're making. For instance, let me keep stats on uh, an M&A play. Let me keep stats on a momentum trade. Let me keep stats on a technical analysis support trade. Let me keep stats on a breakout trade. Let me keep stats on a consolidation trade. Let me keep stats on a backside reversal trade. Those names are meaningless. They're just the types of trades that some of the guys have success with. And uh, when you're measuring them and you're finding you're doing well in certain setups, we're going to ask our guys to do more of them with more size. And when you're taking trades that you're not trading particularly well, we're going to ask you to eliminate those trades or come up with a plan to do them better. And so uh, that's how we, we we're thinking about getting guys to being consistently profitable. Then obviously, along with the winning trader, there are mentoring sessions that we hold each day. So we're going to have a morning mentoring session to go over the stocks and play, stock selection. You're only as good as the stocks you trade. Somebody once rode in one good trade. We're going over the best setups from the open at 11 o'clock that guys should have taken uh, with our developing traders. We have a 1230 men mentoring session where we're building out our guys' tape reading skills. We have a 130 session, which we call the playbook trade, where we're asking guys to, with variables, archive their best setups. And then we have a these guys are good session at the end of the day, where the heavy hitters, the senior traders, the money makers, star traders are coming in and they're sharing what's working for them in real time to the developing traders couple things that I've taken away from this. Number one, I love how you're really letting the, the people decide what works best for them and their personality. I think that's so important. You're not, even though you're, you're, the, you're the prop and you're backing these traders, you're not saying this is the way you need to trade. You're allowing them to develop and pick a strategy based upon their personality. And the next thing that really came to mind is how complex or complicated are some of these statistical edges that you're showing them? Could you walk us through some of them? Yeah, so we like to think about trades and variables. And so I wrote about this in One Good Trade and I wrote about this in the playbook. We think that traders underperform 
who are new because they only make technical trades or they only make fundamental trades uh, or uh, they only decipher the overall headlines of particular news. What, what we do is we ask guys to combine variables. So we want them to pick the stocks that are going to be most in play. Stock selections is really important. We want them to trade the setups that they're most comfortable with. But when they're trading those setups, we want there to be a catalyst, either a news catalyst or a technical catalyst that is going to drive order flow in a certain direction for multiple days. We want there to be a setup that they can spot that is in their niche that they can trade that stock that has a catalyst behind it. We want them to read the tape so that they can enter at a really good price so that they capture the best setup. So when we're looking at our elite traders, we're seeing our guys trading at their best when they come up with a thesis, when that thesis is confirmed by price, when that thesis has a catalyst behind it, when our traders fight for price, when, those, when our traders see it, that is when they're doing their best trading. So you ask the question, is it particularly complicated? You know, we're not a bunch of quantitative PhD analysts sitting around crunching statistics, but we are putting variables together based on a study and observation of markets that tend to cause stocks to trend directionally up and down. We trade long and short for a bunch of days in a row. All right, traders, we're going to pause for 30 seconds and we'll be right back with more questions for Mike. A question I constantly get is what platform do I use to trade futures? Well, I use TT. They are the world's fastest commercially available futures trading platform. Learn more at tryttnow.com. RJO is a long-standing brokerage firm with personal broker relationships to help you learn and trade futures. To learn more, please visit rjofutures.com. So Mike, it sounds to me as though you're not relying on one statistical edge from an indicator or a strategy. It's it's an entire process. It's the macro theme. It's the story combined with the price action. And, and that is how your traders are developing their edge. Very much so. So they want to find those setups that meet their niche, that they most comfortable with, they trade best, that their stats are measuring, that they trade best. And then we're we're very much price observation traders. We're looking for those trades that you know, hit you right between the eyes. Those trades where you're sitting at your desk and the screens are screaming at you, buy, buy, buy. It's it's time to act. It's it's time to pounce. And that's when our guys trade at their best, is when they're sitting at their seats and they get an idea, hey, you know, this stock is getting ready to set up to buy. I see a setup I really like. Now I'm drilling into the price action. Looks like there's a pretty strong buyer on the tape. And then there's a signal from the price action that just clicks. And I'm not going to get into necessarily tape reading and what those signals are right here. But if you're an experienced trader and you know this, 
when you watch screens, there's that time when it's time to buy based on price action. And so they've developed that thesis. They've seen that setup that fits their niche and is in their playbook. And then they've seen the price action hit. And then they're super aggressive. They trade with super size. And then, you know, guess what? If the trade doesn't start working for them quickly, they're going to make a trade decision, either to cut completely or to cut a little bit. But based at least the way that the type of trading that our guys do, uh, it is not about predicting where Tesla is going to go. It's not about predicting whether or not Apple is going to drop precipitously because there's a trade war between the U.S. and China. Uh, it's about, you know, hey, if there is a trade war, maybe we're going to have some weakness in Apple. Oh, there's that setup that I like. Oh, there's the price action that confirms, that confirms, confirms, confirms that my thesis was correct. Now I'm going to be super aggressive. Thank you for listening to Futures Radio Show. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review on iTunes. You can listen to all of our episodes on futuresradioshow.com, iTunes, YouTube, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher.